Welcome to Real Food, Real Conversations with Sophia DeSantis, where we focus on finding our happy balance between salad and fries. Welcome back to the Real Food, Real Conversations podcast with me, Sophia DeSantis, and I'm so excited to have you here today. This is episode 90, and I have my friend and expert, Alyssa, here to talk about a subject that is a little bit, um, I don't know, it's a little a little touchy, I think, in the world today. It's all about BMI, um, and we're going to push some envelopes and have a great, you know, real discussion. But before we do that, Alyssa, will you introduce yourself? and um, tell everybody who you are, your credentials, and all that fun stuff. Of course. So hi, everybody. My name is Alyssa Rumsey. I am a registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating counselor, and a food and body liberation coach. And I am the founder of Alyssa Rumsey Nutrition and Wellness, which is a virtual weight-inclusive nutrition practice where I work with people to help them get free from dieting and reconnect with their bodies um, and just feel more connected to themselves. And I do that through one-on-one coaching as well as group programs. And I'm also the author of the book, Unapologetic Eating, which in reviewing 2021, I realized came out this year in February. This year has gone by really fast. Awesome. And I have that linked. I have that linked in the, in the, um, in the uh, podcast uh, blog post that's connected to this. So make sure that you click on that and check it out. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well, let's just get started because I feel like we're going to have a lot to say about this. Um, VMI. I mean, it's like, I feel like a thing that whether you have kids, don't have kids, um, have our whatever size you are, I feel like we are constantly told about our BMI. Like every time I go to the doctor, every time I take my kids to the doctor, BMI is always brought up. Um, But let's start small for people that are listening that may not understand or know what it is. Can we just have a basic building blocks of what BMI is and like how it's calculated? Sure. So um, the BMI, which stands for body mass index, um, is an equation that it's calculated by taking a person's weight in kilograms and their height in square meters. And so it's a ratio of those two things, your weight and your height. Um, And that calculation is then used to categorize people into um, different groups. So there's, and I put these all in quotes, which I'm happy to explain why, but it's used to categorize people into quote, underweight, quote, normal weight, quote, overweight, quote, obese, or quote, morbidly obese. And um, as you just mentioned, the BMI has become this really primary way that um, medical professionals, drug manufacturers, uh, government agencies, and health researchers all classify people's weight and body size, um, to evaluate and unfortunately even diagnose health. Um, and this is despite the fact that the BMI is, as we are going to talk about, has been really widely recognized as a problematic measurement for a long time. So it's the body's So if you are an everyday person should, um, are you able to, you talked about the ratio, are you able to calculate your own BMI or is that something that a doctor has to do? Um, yeah, you are able to calculate your own. I, again, don't recommend it because I 
you know, BMI is really not something that's been validated. Um, and it's not accurate from a standpoint, from a health standpoint. So it's not, the BMI is not a good indication of if you're quote healthy or quote unhealthy, it really doesn't give you any accurate information like that. So while yes, you could, um, go and plug some numbers in and calculate the BMI yourself. I don't recommend doing that because it's really not an accurate way to, um, measure your health. So let's talk a little bit about a little bit more about that, why it isn't accurate. Um, why is not something that you should look at in order to, you know, look at your own health as a whole? Sure. So I'm going to just share a little bit of history because I think that this is really helpful to put into perspective why the BMI is a problematic measure and why it's not a good indication of health. Um, so if we go back to the early 1800s in Belgium, um, there was a Belgian astronomer. He was a mathematician, a statistician, a sociologist. He was also reportedly a eugenicist, um, a man by the name of Aldolfe Quaitlet. And so he developed what was then called the Quaitlet Index, which was the ratio of a person's weight in kilograms to their height in square meters. Um, so that's the equation that we now know as the BMI. So it was developed in the early 1800s. And it was developed by this man who had no interest in measuring health. Uh, that wasn't what he was trying to do. He was a statistician looking at these population models. So he was not a medical practitioner studying individual health um, conditions. And not to mention that the data that was used to develop the equation and to develop the categories was taken from a white European population. It was also the early 1800s. So we are going to assume that it was probably a mostly male um, population of data points, which means that right there, that can tell you, right, that it's not something that um, can be extrapolated to people who are not white European men. Um, nevertheless, the QI, as it was then known, that equation eventually became what we know today as the BMI. Um, so um, it's something that has just been used so much in the last hundred or so years. Um, as I mentioned, it's really it's used in the research and then it's used by health professionals. And I, I get it from the extent that um, for a doctor or for people looking at large groups of people thinking of like, okay, what is something I can look at that's going to tell me if someone is healthy or not, or kind of screen them based on their health. But it's really not, even in that way, it's not really accurate. Um, so a study done a couple of years ago on, it was over 40,000 people this looked at found that almost 50% of people who are classified in the quote overweight category um, and about 30% of people who are in the quote obese category of BMI were what we call metabolically healthy, meaning that their blood pressure was normal, their cholesterols were, cholesterol was normal, their triglycerides were normal, their glucose was normal, um, their C-reactive protein, which we look at as a measure of inflammation in the body, all of that was normal. Um, plus about 30% of the people that were in the quote normal category of BMI were found to be metabolically unhealthy. So that right there shows you that it is miscategorizing the health status of large percentage of the population. Um, and, you know, not to mention that those 
the categories, right, between underweight, normal weight, overweight, obese, the differences between those categories are largely arbitrary. So I have a lot of clients who, you know, will go into the doctors and the doctor will calculate their BMI and they'll be like, oh, you know, oh, you're overweight. And, you know, because they gained some weight that year. Um, And then, like you said before, then they get the advice of, oh, well, you need to lose weight. But then if you zoom out and look at the bigger picture, you know, that normal to overweight jump is actually really arbitrary. And an example I love to give of how arbitrary this is, is that in the nineties, in 1998, the National Institute of Health actually adjusted the cutoff for overweight down. So it used to be that the cutoff was a BMI of um, 20, I believe it was 27 for men and 28 for women. And then they adjusted it down to 25. So that means that overnight, 37 million Americans, they had had a normal BMI and then they woke up the next day with an overweight BMI. Now, are you going to tell me that those 37 million people went to bed healthy and woke up unhealthy? No. So, and that move was really controversial. That was actually um, against the advice of their own uh, uh, council who was looking into to adjusting it. So all this to say, um, it's just, it is not a good indicator of health status. It is based on data from the early 1800s, um, data that uh, is not, cannot be used to extrapolate to all these other people that we're now using it for. That's crazy. I did not know that it was developed by a statistician. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, he was just using it to get info. And then all of a sudden how, you, you wonder like how that jump went from, Oh, I, you, this is some guy that's just using it to get info. And then all of a sudden, like medical professionals were like, Oh, that would be a good thing to use instead of like making up their own. I don't know. It's so weird to me. Yeah. I mean, the other, the other little bit of history, um, if you wanted to include this part is, um, so that, that jump actually happened because in between that there were in the U S life insurance companies, um, were starting to use different metrics to try to determine their rates. So insuring someone's life, um, and they were using these height and weight tables, they were called. And again, this was data that was exclusively based upon a population of white, wealthy men again. Um, and their weight tables, um, actually showed there was a higher rate of death for quote overweight people, but then studies later on actually showed the opposite that overweight people actually had a lower risk of death. Um, they never actually changed those weight tables, but, um, a researcher in the seventies was trying to find a different way to evaluate body mass. And so that was who proposed that, that QI index now be called the body mass index. And that really brings us to like where we are today. So there's lots of political stuff wrapped up in this too. Um, and shocker. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Shocker. Um, that, that's yes. not how it is anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wish. <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry. That's just it. So like everyone listening that is like, why is politics so involved in our health? Well, it started in the 1800s. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Um, that's a really good uh, Uh, like back to like reality, like that's a really good point though, about how it was started mostly, you know, white European people and mostly males, because yeah, back then those were the people being that like being looked at, like, you know, we, women weren't really 
included in a lot of stuff. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And yeah. And again, like there's, um, uh, Quaylet was also a eugenicist, right? So he was trying to show that, you know, white people were better than, than people of color. Um, and so the equation that he created basically left out all people of color, um, people who weren't white. Um, and yet we now use this equation for, you know, all these different things. And I know you mentioned too, before kids and sort of like doing kids BMI screenings. I mean, that is like a whole nother can of worms because there's like no data for it on kids to validate it. Um, so that's like a whole other thing too, of like, it's even less accurate. It's not accurate with adults. It's even less accurate looking at it in children. Yes. And that's like actually, um, kind of a big one for me because before even I had kids, I'll never forget. We were, I was a teacher, I was a teacher actually for 14 years. That's where I have a master's degree in education. And I taught elementary school for, um, my, that was like my first career, I guess you can say. Um, and I'll never forget. There was a, a teacher friend whose son had just gone to the doctor or no daughter, even worse. had just gone to the doctor and she was like nine and the doctor told her, her daughter was obese. And I know this little girl, she is nowhere near obese, like not even funny. Um, but she's just like, was sporty, like, and just like dense. Like I have three boys right now. My oldest of all of my boys are very slim. My oldest though, has always been dense. Like we say, he's like filled with rocks. Whereas my second one, we call bird bones. Cause he's so light but it's just their body type, but neither of them looking at them would even imagine that's like this little girl. And they left in tears because you have this little girl who is like, I mean, if you were to see her, you would legitimately like die laughing that this is like, this doctor should lose their life. Like, are you kidding? You call this little girl obese based on these arbitrary numbers that you had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and it was devastating, you know, like mental health, like talk about mental health and body image and all that kind of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. for children, especially like I get, you know, adults. Yes. But like you have this generation of kids that, and so many doctors talk about it in front of kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're, yeah. you're just like, what? Like blows me away. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, mental health for sure. But even, I mean, there are studies that show, um, and this is for adults, but I think we can, you know, see the same in children. I'm sure of when weight related feedback is given, people are actually less likely to make long-term positive health behavior changes. So there's all this talk of like, well, but you have to tell people that they're quote overweight or quote obese or else they won't make any changes. And actually, no, that's the opposite of what we see. Um, Telling people that they're quote overweight or quote obese and they need to lose weight for health is actually not a good motivator for change. And it causes a lot of shame. um, And you know, doesn't actually help. Um, if health is our goal, this doesn't actually help. Um, you know, we actually see, um, and this is what we call, it's a type of weight stigma, meaning, um, discrimination or stereotyping based on one's weight. And so being told that you are overweight or being told that you're obese, which the word obese comes from the Latin word that literally means having eaten until fat, I mean, talk about stigma, right? Like so much, so much shame in there. And what we also see is that, um, 
in people who have internalized this weight stigma, they report more frequent binge eating compared to people who do not. Um, and they, people who experience this weight stigma are more likely to avoid exercise. So again, like, you know, telling someone they're overweight, telling them they're obese, not only is it not an accurate measure of health, but it also, um, is a form of weight stigma. And then that does not help a person's health that can make a person's health worse. So like all these BMI screenings in schools and at doctor's offices or in community settings, not only doesn't help people change their behaviors, but can actually cause health behaviors to worsen. Yeah. Well, and I can imagine that's probably, you know, goes to hold the whole mental health thing and you're feeling defeated. So what's the point? And also the connection of emotional eating when you're feeling upset or whatever. And there's so much to that, that yes. And I mean, and all honestly, like you said, your weight doesn't necessarily mean you're metabolically healthy or unhealthy. And so there's so many, you know, like there's so much wrapped up in that, that it's like, and, and at the same time, it's, it's really tough. Like, because I see doctors and especially right now, how overworked doctors are and how, you know, and when I say doctors, I mean, a lot of them, but the doctors I mean more so are the ones that are covered by our insurance, quote unquote insurance companies, because there's so many options out there for like private practice this, you know, the, that whole doctor, but most people can't afford that, that have the time to sit with their patients. But these ones that are just like, you know, schedules are packed, you know, they're saying get as many patients in in a day, like they don't have the time and energy and tools to sit there and go through so much. And so they're, they're being told like, you know, yep, you got to use this. You got to use this. We got to move it quickly. You know, that's kind of the whole theme in our country right now, more faster, like, but that is not necessarily helpful. (laughs) Totally, totally. And also, you know, doctors, as well as most healthcare professionals, myself included, when I was training to be a dietitian, are, um, are the medical community and like the health professional training, like our education system is very steeped in anti-fat bias. And so we're Mm -hmm. learning things like, oh, the BMI is a good indicator of health and, oh, you have to look at someone's weight. And if they're at a higher weight, that's going to automatically mean that, um, you know, they're going to have these different diseases or that they need to lose weight for health. And, and really, you know, that is all incorrect. Um, yes, there's a correlation between higher weights and certain diseases, but we actually have zero evidence that that's a causational piece, right? Meaning that, um, yes, people at higher weights might be more likely to have certain diseases or health conditions, but the weight isn't the thing that causes that. Um, and when we focus on weight as the thing of like, oh, we need to fix this in order to, um, lessen your risk of disease or to improve your disease. Like I mentioned before, that's actually not a good, um, motivator for long-term positive, um, behavior change. Yes. And actually what's funny, what I was just saying before we started recording that, um, I just had an expert on, on cholesterol and what she was explaining is that, you know, a lot of times when you go into the doctor and you have high cholesterol, the first thing they say to you is you gotta, you have to lose weight. And what she's saying is that actually, if you are, if you are eating excess calories that you aren't using, yes, cutting out those excess calories can help cholesterol because you don't have, you know, that cholesterol, that excess stuff being, you know, in your body, but 
people that are overweight aren't necessarily, or people that are larger size or whatever, aren't necessarily, th- that just might be their body type. And so they're not necessarily eating excess calories. And so when you tell somebody to lose weight when they're not eating excess calories, that is going to have no impact on their cholesterol. So mm-hmm. that's like, she's just like, that's while it's the first thing doctors go to, there's so much more you need to look at before you say, you know, yeah, you know, before you say losing weight may help when in fact, losing weight can actually, she explained, hurt you because so many people go on these diets, like that actually can increase your cholesterol. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that weight loss recommendation is made all the time. Again, despite the fact that there's extensive research that shows that in terms of modifiable health behaviors, right? Because not yes. all of our health risk is modifi- modifiable, genetics, right. our family history, environment, et cetera. Yes. Um, it's actually our behaviors, not our weight that impact our health the most. So yeah, yes. we see this with cholesterol. We see this with blood pressure. We see this with diabetes. When someone starts uh, eating more nutritious foods, they start moving their body more disease markers like blood sugar or cholesterol or blood pressure or heart rate all decrease. And that decrease happens even when a person's weight stays exactly the same. That's the thing I was just going to say, and you may or may not lose weight. Yes, exactly. And that's, that's fine, right? That's fine from a, from a health standpoint. Um, And because, yeah, it's really, like you said, like, we're not all meant to be at a quote, normal BMI. Like that's, that is not a, that's not what we're meant to be. Like, just like we're not all meant to wear size eight shoes, right? Like there's foot size diversity, there's height diversity, there's weight diversity, and that's natural. Um, And yeah, this focus on weight is actually really harmful. um, Like your, your previous um, uh, person said that is, can be really harmful to someone's health. Um, and so why, why is it then? So, I mean, other, is it just have to do with the way this equation was formed that a BMI will say someone's overweight when in fact they're really not? So I think it's less about, so the, even the word overweight that's rooted in the BMI chart. So that's why I don't actually use that word or why I use it in quotes when I'm using it, because overweight is a word rooted in the BMI charts, which we've talked about is really problematic. And it's assuming that there's a correct weight that your body should be at. And that if you're over that weight, that you're abnormal or need to fix it. Um, And so again, because that word is rooted in the BMI charts, that's why it's something of like, again, like we never, we don't know, like everybody's body has a set point weight range. um, And that range can be like five to 15 or 20 pounds, depending on what's going on, um, that our body just naturally will stay at. Um, and so that might mean that you're at a higher weight. That might mean that some people are at a lower rate, but that's the weight that your body is kind of meant to be at. Um, and so that's why I don't actually even like using the word overweight because like, what does that even mean? What Um, does that even mean? Yeah, totally. Well, it's so true about the, the range. I mean, I know for a fact that I know I have a range and it, and it has changed. It stayed my, other than being pregnant, obviously, because I, you gain weight when you're pregnant or you should, if you're having a healthy pregnancy, um, other than being pregnant, like I have definitely fluctuated. I'm a very small petite person. I am like a little over five feet tall and I have ranged in my entire life, adult life between being 95 pounds and 105 pounds. Like that is my range of weight. And for a small petite person like me, you know, 10 pounds is definitely like, you can definitely see it and feel it, but 
it's like, I even range from day to day, depending on whether I pooped or how much I've eaten. And over the holidays, when we're going out and having parties and whatever, I'm definitely, you know, by the end of the holidays, I'm on the higher end because I'm overeating a lot because it's delicious and it's the holidays and it's comforting and it's fun and I'm drinking a lot more. But then, you know, when I, when all that's over and what I call my January, you know, time to like snuggle up and and like kind of retreat into my cave a little bit, you know, since the parties are done and whatever, I don't really, I mean, I naturally eating at home and, you know, not eating all the other stuff. And I'm naturally kind of go back down and Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily because I dieted or whatever. It's just your lifestyle change a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many different factors affect our body weight, like even outside of what we eat and how we move, um, like stress can be a big impactor. percent. So sleep. yeah, that's why sleep. Yes, exactly. So that's why, you know, we often look at like the weight going up and being like, Oh my God, I got to fix the weight going up. But really it's like, okay. Um, assuming that you're above your set point, right. Where some people like need to actually gain weight because they've been dieting so much that they're below their set point. Um, but assuming that you are, you know, kind of gaining weight outside of your quote unquote, sort of your personal usual range, that's where we want to look at. Okay. The weight is not the, the cause, like what's at the root of this, like what's really going on here and really looking to, you know, those behaviors are kind of those, um, indicators, not the weight itself. Totally. And I will say for sure, um, I 100% see like my weight, I, I don't own a scale. So the, when I say weight, I base it on like how my clothes feel and things like that. Um, when I am not sleeping, when I am not, when I am high stressed, when I am not drinking enough water, when I am not eating, you know, as I, cause we're very, we are mostly plant-based, but you know, not hundred percent, we eat other things, but we eat a very plant-rich diet. So when I am on vacation and not necessarily getting all the plants in that I usually do, and I don't feel like I can feel a difference without that number. Like I just feel it. So it's like, Mm -hmm. there's so many things that are involved in that. And for Mm -hmm. me, sleep's actually quite a big one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, something I haven't really touched on today, but I think is important to mention is that we live in this culture that is very fat phobic, right? There's a lot of anti-fat bias, meaning we are taught from a young age explicitly. And a lot of times implicitly that being fat or being at a higher weight is not okay. We're taught, certainly we're taught that it's not healthy, but we're also taught that, that's gross or ugly, or that fat people are lazy. Like there's all this bias that, um, permeates our culture. So it makes so much sense that when someone feels like their weight is going up, feels like their body is getting larger, that there's this fear and this be like, okay, I don't want that to happen to me. I need to lose weight. So I just want to also say, I know that's not necessarily what I'm here to talk about, but I just want to say, I acknowledge that, that, you know, I'm, I'm saying that weight is not an indicator of health, um, and that you can prioritize and promote your health without focusing on that. And actually it's better to do so. Um, but, and also that can be really challenging to do in this culture, um, you know, to kind of like leave behind this idea of, of weight loss. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to mention that as well. Totally. And that's kind of where I was going with like when I'm sleep or stressed or whatever, I feel inside that 
something is off. And like stress for me is actually, um, it, when I'm super stressed and all the times in my life, I've had a lot of stress. I actually lose a lot of weight because I stress kind of overruns my body and I forget my hunger cues. I forget like, it's just, but even if I am eating, like, I, I don't know what it is about me. Stress is like the opposite. I lose my appetite. I, and I went through early onset menopause. I, I'm going to be 45 in July. And I went through early onset menopause in my early forties. And with that came a very, um, roller coaster of hormones and emotions. And I started having like, I, and I'm generally an anxiety driven person. I have like anxiety just generally, but this really skyrocketed my anxiety and I was having anxiety attacks all the time. And I don't like, because I don't own a scale and like weigh myself every day, I didn't really notice this weight loss that was happening. But I finally, I finally said to myself, like, I felt so terrible. I'm like, I have to go to the doctor. I have to do something about this. So I went to my doctor to help with the anxiety and the menopause and things like that. And, you know, every time you go to your doctor, you get on a scale and I got on the scale and I don't ever really look at it. But when I went in, she looked at me and she goes, um, there's a problem. I had lost so much weight that I didn't even realize. And she's just like, you're here crying, you're stressed, like you've lost all this weight, like we need to. So it it was an indicator to me that I missed even like for Mm. a negative thing, like there's something wrong. Like I, I should have gone to the doctor way before I did, but I, you know, being me, I'm like, no, I'm fine. Um, and it, and I, I could tell like so many things like my hair, my skin. And finally, when I just got the help I needed and was able to like, get back to my normal range of weight. I just, everything just felt better, you know, like my skin, Mm -hmm. my hair, you know, just my body in general. Yeah. And that was the the point for me was just like how I felt, you know, like I was so just, you know, how I felt was just this huge indicator that something was wrong on the other end, like the underweight end as well. Mm -hmm. Mm Yeah. Yeah. So talking about then what is more, what if an ideal world, what could we, um, if, if an ideal word with doctors, like what could we use? What's more accurate than BMI when it comes to someone's overall health and wellness? So I think, you know, like I mentioned before, the putting the focus instead of on weight or BMI, putting the focus on the modifiable behaviors that are within our control. Um, so, you know, that can mean food that can mean movement that also means sleep and stress as we've been talking about. Um, and, you know, trying to instead focus on those, um, those more modifiable behaviors since weight is not a behavior. And it's really something, as I've been saying, we as individuals can't have much impact on, especially in the long term. but we can work on changing our health behaviors. So we can look at our eating habits. We can look at, you know, what can I add to my day? That's going to add more nutrition. Um, you know, thinking of that scenario, you just, um, experience without knowing fully what was going on. I'd say like, oh, that's probably a situation would be like, okay, am I eating enough during the day? Am I eating consistently during the day? Or am I going through these like big periods of restricting and then binging and then, you know, which is not great for our, for our health or physical or our mental health, um, yes. looking at physical activity, um, looking at our sleep patterns, um, looking at our stress management. Um, so I think, uh, those are some things we can look at. Um, 
I also think, you know, our, our healthcare system is really focused on like the, the biomedical model. So it's looking at like lab tests and not always the person in front of you, or it's looking at numbers and not always the person in front of you. And while yes, like numbers can play a role, it shouldn't be the only thing that we're judging um, our health on. So, you know, physical health wise, how are you feeling? What is your energy like? Um, how are you moving? Like, what's your flexibility like? What's your strength like? Um, and then really zooming out and not just looking at physical health, but looking at mental and emotional health too, because that is not only is it important by itself, but also our mental and emotional health can affect, can negatively impact our physical health. Um, yes. A hundred percent. Just like that was yeah. my thing with me. Like it yeah. was the mental health piece and And Mm -hmm. I think they're so connected, like, and that's why, especially when it comes to food, like I like to say, like, sometimes we eat for our body and sometimes we eat for our mind and both are equally as important because Mm -hmm. when we're with out with friends bonding and sharing moments, if you're sitting there the whole time focusing on, oh my gosh, I can't eat that. They ordered this. I can't eat it. It's not part of my quote unquote diet. Um, you're, you're not focusing on the, the happy experience and the bonding with your, with your friends. So it's important to eat with your mind and also like for your body and also eat for your mind because food brings together people. And, and, you know, it's, it's sad to me when you're so restrictive that you can't enjoy those things. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, in thinking of, you know, kind of the things that my clients and I look at as, as positive outcomes for them. Often it like very often for most every person, actually, it is not stressing about food as much and being able to be more in the present moment and not having food, like take up so much of their, um, brain space, not like constantly worrying about what they're eating or not eating. Um, and yeah, just, you know, looking at, are you attuned to your body cues, your hunger cues, your fullness cues? Are you eating consistently during the day? Yeah. What are your energy levels like? What is your sleep quality like? Um, are, do you have coping mechanisms for stress? Are you using those on a regular basis? Um, really looking at kind of that, that big picture when it comes to health. Totally. And that self-care is so important because we do, especially as women, I feel like, and as mothers, um, like we tend to put ourselves second all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And the, the regular self-care, um, you know, even when we're not feeling super stressed, but having that regular self-care is so important. And then, yeah, having the specific coping mechanisms for when there are times of stress and, and also knowing what that feels like too. I mean, you shared that example of like, yeah, just like putting it off so long and not really realizing how bad it had gotten. Um, and I mean, my example is not, um, not like that extreme, I guess, but I had a very similar experience in 2020 where I was like, Oh no, I'm not, I'm not anxious. Like I don't have that like running brain thing. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not stressed. Like, but Oh my gosh, my body was telling me something completely different, but it was communicating in ways that I was not, I didn't realize like that was my stress and anxiety showing up. Um, and if you don't, if you're not aware of it and you don't realize, um, or you're not paying attention or you're, um, maybe, I mean, I did notice some of these things, but I was kind of like, oh, like, this is just because like, 
I'm working and I'm indoors all the time. And it was like, no, these are things that are actually cues that my body needs, needs something. Right. Um, totally. Explaining yeah. them away is so common yeah. for us, I think. Yeah. Um, well, and also like realizing I would, I would guess, this is just a guess for me, but if we ever did a study of people's happiness levels and, and the only reason I say this is just to like debunk the myth about, you know, being unhealthy at higher weights or whatever. But if we compared, like if we did a study of people, you know, the happiest they were compared to like weight wise, I would guarantee that most of the times, like when we stop focusing on our weight and our size and whatever, and we just like, just come to terms without, you know, that, and just focus more on like our happiness that we're probably at a higher weight and more comfortable in ourselves versus like, you know, the focus on, I can't eat this. I have to work out two hours a day because I had a chocolate chip cookie yesterday. Um, Mm -hmm. And being, you know, I I would guess that that correlates with much more unhappiness and mental health. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think there's, I'm not sure if that specific thing has been studied, but I am thinking about, um, you know, self-compassion and people with stronger self-compassion and the more positive health outcomes that that can hold. I'm thinking of all the research around intuitive eating and, you know, not a weight centric kind of way of eating, but just more in tune body eating um, and how that has such positive health outcomes and physical health and mental health as we're talking about. So yeah, I, I totally agree. Well, and the craziest part about all this is that if you look at history, the size, quote unquote, size of somebody and what is deemed as the best size, quote again, has changed so much. Oh my gosh. You know, like it's like, I mean, larger bodies were actually like that. They were like, you know, that was what you wanted, like in some parts of history. Like, so Mm -hmm. what's to say one is was more correct than the other. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, that, I mean, you're, yeah, absolutely correct. And that just, again, speaks to these, like all of this stuff that we believe about body size and what that means is learned. It's not innate. Like yes. I always say, we don't pop out of our mother's womb with like hating cellulite and wanting a flat stomach. Right. Like that's not right. something we're not like innately born with these beliefs that a certain body is better than another one or a certain body yeah. is worse. Like these are things that are taught to us. Um, and they're, you know, like socially constructed beliefs. They're not true. So, well, and they're, they're also in, they're also part of our everyday life. So when you go shopping, like I'm a petite person, I wear a size zero. I have to shorten every single pair of pants that I buy in a size zero. And I think to myself, who in the hell is two feet taller than me and my size? That is disgusting. Like, you know, like something's wrong. Like you should not be like, I'm like, why are these pants too? Why do I have to take two feet off of this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh my gosh. Yeah. There are so many I, examples it's like, like a that, shock right? To me. Yeah. But that's mm-hmm. the thing is like, you go shopping and I can't like, it's at both ends of the spectrum. Like mm-hmm. I have a hard time finding clothes and even the petite stuff, like it's supposed to be shorter. I'm like, I, I, I still have to shorten it. And I'm just like, well, I am a petite person, but if you were literally five eleven and my size, you probably have some malnutrition going on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. There's just, yeah. I mean the clothing sizes and the clothing, I mean, again, anti-fat bias, right. And just like the, um, it is built into everything and it's really, really wild. Once you start to, to recognize like all the different places that we learn these things and, um, well, they're just as arbitrary as the BMI. They're just as arbitrary because sometimes a size, one size in one brand is like a totally different size in another. And so it's like, you know, of course, how the hell do people know what to shop for now? Like, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Arbitrary is like the perfect word for that. And, you know, so many people will beat themselves up because something doesn't fit them correctly or, and I'm always like, no, this is not about your body. This is about like how arbitrary these sizes are. Um, and 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 also buying something just because it's quote unquote your size when you know you don't, you want like a looser fit, but then feeling like, well, I can't buy the bigger size. Yeah. 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 There can be a lot of shame wrapped up in that again, because of what we've been taught being at a higher size means. Um, but really, yeah, that's, I mean, it can actually doing that and wearing clothes that feel comfortable wearing clothes that fit your body. Like I consider that a form of body respect and like respecting your body and, um, you know, when you are more like clothing can be a constant reminder about our body, like no matter what size it is, right. Even clothes that fit, like I know, Mm um, as I get into my like later thirties, I have just like completely eschewed like any tight clothes. I'm like, Nope, that just, I love like not being aware of my body during the, like not being aware of my body size during the day. Like it feels so freeing and liberating. So I have like completely embraced and luckily that is on trend right now. So I can find clothes like this everywhere. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I think it can be like, I understand why there can be so much shame wrapped up in that. But at the end of the day, like, again, just going back to like, what is going to be best for your, your health, um, and your mental health. Well, exactly. And it's so important. Like, I mean, like you did say, definitely, you know, you shouldn't use blood work and numbers as an end all be all, but you know, if there is an issue, making sure there isn't actually something metabolically wrong, making sure that there isn't like, you know, there's, you know, I had a friend who all of a sudden suddenly started gaining like a ton of weight and she had uh, thyroid disease. And so there are things we need to make sure that there are not like, cause that's so dangerous when there is something wrong and you don't know, and you're constantly dieting and you're probably making it worse. And Mm -hmm. you're trying one diet after the other, because all of a sudden you're gaining weight. And I'll tell you too, like I've, I have three kids and I, I can't believe that my body created three children, but I definitely am not the body that I was when I was in my twenties. And why should I be? And what, how is that, you know, how can you even think that that's even like possible? You know, you've, once you've gone through a certain stage of life. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, our bodies are not supposed to be the same bodies we had as teenagers or in our twenties. And again, unfortunately, like these are like, God, we just see it all over magazines, right? Of like body after baby and and all this crap. Don't even get me started. But like, like so it makes sense why people feel like shame about that. But again, like, no, our bodies are meant to change. Our bodies, you know, during menopause and like perimenopause, it's actually the weight gain in the abdomen is actually a protective mechanism against the fluctuating hormone levels that are happening during menopause. And yet, like, yeah. that becomes something of like, oh, I gotta like lose this belly. And it's like, well, actually, like that belly is is there for a reason. Um, so yeah, I think it, it is really like kind of like, okay, what are the socially constructed beliefs and like what is actually true and what is actually going to be best for, for me and my health. 
Right. And I would like to just kind of bring to light too, like if some, if you are, if you want to weight train and, and get, you know, like get muscles and do whatever for the right reasons, because it's something like if you're doing it for the right reasons, there's no shame in that either. I think that sometimes too, like we have to remember that like you have to do what works for you, but you need to also do it for the right reasons. You have to do it for you, not because someone you saw online looks a certain way and you want to look like that person. Like it has to be something that like you want to do for you it mm-hmm. can, and you know, for the right reasons, like not for like, I, I love doing yoga because I want to be more flexible. It's something that I've always wanted. And so I make sure I incorporate yoga because I want to do, you know, I want to, I want to get more flexible. I want to have, be able to put my body in certain positions because it's just something that I've always wanted to do. And so it's not, you know, I'm not doing yoga to lose weight or, you know, whatever it is. So I think that that's like another important factor is that we have to remember that people online, you know, especially in our online world, we see so much around us and we almost lose touch with our, like we talked about intu- intuition, intuitive eating, we almost lose touch into what our personal body actually wants and needs. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think looking at that intention, what is my intention behind this decision? And is this something that's in alignment with what my body needs? Is this something that's in alignment with me and my values and where I'm trying right. to go in life? And yeah. Um, yeah. It can be, God, it can be so hard with like the noise of social media and just, you know, especially like the image centric apps can be, it can be so challenging. But yeah. I love that of just going back to like, okay, what is my intention here? And examining yeah, that totally. a little bit more. Yeah, because I've seen a lot of uh, accounts online about women lifting because that, you know, the whole stigma of, oh, if you lift, you're going to get big. And I do remember when I've always been into health and fitness and I've always, you know, I've always been an active individual and love fitness. But I, I remember like growing up like in the 90s when I went to the gym, like in high school, I loved it. I loved just doing it. It was like just something I enjoyed. It helped with my stress. It helped me get away. But I remember the stigma of don't lift too much because you're going to get bulky. Mm. And that, you know, that whole thing. And now I'm like, I, you know, I do, I'm very well-rounded when it comes to fitness. I love my yoga. I love my cardio. I love lifting. I love all the things. But, you know, I just, that still is in the back of my head. Like, don't lift because you're going to get too bulky. And it's like, really? Like, I don't know. And, Mm-hmm. And even well, if I did anti-fat I, bias right there, right? Yeah. <laughs> like right. The, the fear of getting too big. Yeah. Yes, yeah. totally. And that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time and I love having this space on here to be able to talk about things that, you know, aren't online posted where people can jump down your throat about every little thing you say. So, so many opinions. Um <laughs> So this has been great being able just to chat openly and um, such great information about BMI. Like I didn't know a lot about that, about the history about it. So thanks for sharing all that. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Totally. Um, And if there's um, any of you that are interested, uh, make sure you click on the link for her book, Unapologized Eating. And also I have a free five-step guide linked in the post as well. So make sure you check that out. Um, and if you have experienced BMI, you know, uh, bias in your doctor's appointments or whatever, make stand up for yourself, I guess is all I can say is like, be, 
get in control of your, of your own health. And you don't have to sit there and take it. You don't have to sit there and, and you can, you know, you can be who you are. And just because one doctor says something does not define you, I guess, is what I wanted to say. Yeah. Um, but anyway, thank you so much. And um, thanks to you, all of you listeners for being here. I so appreciate it. If you love this podcast, I would appreciate a rate and review on the Purple Podcast app because the more I get, the more um, I can get out there and get awesome experts on my um, podcast um, like Alyssa and get you information that is, you know, informative, real, and um, not just information that is backed by trying to sell you something online. (laughs) But thank you. Thank you so much for being here again, Alyssa. Thank you so much again for having me. It was great. Thank you.